Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio in the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. A Broadway veteran. I don't know if I should use the term veteran with you, Leslie Huggins, but you've, you've been on Broadway more than once. Aren't I lucky? You are very lucky. We, we are lucky that you are back on Broadway opposite James Earl Jones in On Golden Pond, that yes. venerable story where you play Ethel Thayer, Thayer opposite James Earl Jones, Norman Thayer. Yes, yes, And yes. it is a wonderfully warm show, and the two of you just make it your own. We have such a good time on that stage together. It, it's just uh, – a joy. The other day I was talking to James and he said, you know, we had our day off and he said, I missed everybody. I said, so did I. <laughs> I feel the same way because we love doing the play and we love the, the cast that we, we share the evening with. And it's, it, we really are like a family. Well, it is a wonderful cast of six people. And after the first two minutes, I'd say, when you get the Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn images out of your mind, you make it your own and you and James Earl Jones, the rest of the cast, you seem like – like you're actually the people you're portraying, not, not not actors on a stage, but the real people themselves. Yes, I had someone say to me recently that they felt like they were peeking in the window <laughs> of the Thayer family, and that's I, I love that. That's wonderful. But it's worth noting that you you've come together so beautifully, but. While all casting and all experience in theater may be happenstance and coincidence, you joined this production when it was starting out in Washington on fairly short notice. Yes. I had to learn it in uh, a week. Hmm. (laughs) And a week before you went into performance? Yes. Uh, What happened was I got the script on a Tuesday night. I was at rehearsal the Wednesday and the first preview was Tuesday. The following Tuesday? The following Tuesday. And I couldn't be there. Because for the I first had, preview? For the first preview because I had concert uh, commitments that I, they would not let me out of. So I really didn't go on the stage until Thursday, and the main opening was <laughs> Saturday. Wow. So it was, it was very crazy time. So what's that process? I mean, how do you get into a show that quickly? What did, what did you, because certainly it's, it's not the norm. Well, first of all, um, I thought at the time when I heard when they were going to start the first preview, I thought, this is crazy. How, how, how could I possibly do, the, do that? But let me have the script. And then I read the script, and I, I just love what I read. And uh, at the time, the producer said, you know, we'll have breakfast the next morning. <laughs> and my manager said, I don't think there's time for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I think she reads the script. She likes the script. We start rehearsal tomorrow. And that's what happened. I started rehearsal on that Wednesday. And um, at the time when I walked in, I just looked at James Earl and this wonderful cast, and I thought, I'm going to go for it. I'm never going to pass up an opportunity not to work with James Earl Jones. And uh, I think that's really what was the motivation behind the whole thing. I didn't get much sleep. Mm. I was, you know, averaging like uh, four hours of sleep a night because even as learning it, I, I when I would try to sleep, the lines were going in my head. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the good thing about that experience was there was no time for panic because <laughs> you didn't have time to panic. And uh, for me, um, I was on the stage, so I was learning blocking at the same time I was learning the lines. You know, usually you do the lines and then later on comes the blocking. And then when you do the blocking, it's like you never learn the lines. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. to start all over again. For me, the process was – I was learning the lines and learning the blocking, and that that was quite a help. Plus the fact that there was never panic 
in James's eyes or the rest of the cast. And, I mean, if I had seen them looking like, oh, my God, how is she going to do this? I might have, like, oh, I don't know. But uh, they were very comfortable. And at the time, the show was only originally planned for a Washington engagement, yes. right? So it was – you were coming in. You were doing it. You were going to play a couple of weeks at the Kennedy Center. Yes. And that was that was the plan. That was the plan. And then, then it became also going to uh, the du- DuPont Theater in Delaware. And, uh, and then it just kind of – grew. I mean, the response, the first performance was like, we were like stunned how people reacted to it. First of all, we weren't sure it was a comedy <laughs> because, I mean, you know, you, you work from truth and everything. I mean, this play is so beautifully written, but it's not bum kind of jokes in it. I mean, the, the jokes come from the, the people. And uh, they just went wild. And after the performance, James and I kind of looked at each other and said, Wow, they're laughing at us. <laughs> well, it, 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 it isn't so much funny as humorous and warm, right. and much as a family would be. Somebody, the, exactly, we the audience are looking through the fourth wall, the seventh person, so to speak, yes. watching a family and the mailman and whatever. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was really quite remarkable the the whole experience about. The Wednesday before I went on, because I went on that Thursday, I kind of hit the wall. All of a sudden I went, oh, my goodness, how can I do this? And I kind of crumbled, and and uh, my manager looked at me and said, you're going to be fine. And I went, oh, okay. If, if you say so, I'll if be If you fine. say so, I, I trust you. Okay. Now, this is somewhat akin to learning how to swim by being thrown off the back of a boat. Exactly. You either swim or you sink. Oh, you sink. What would be the normal length of time? from the time you would commit to a show till it would actually be staged. In other words, the whole process of learning the script, blocking it, and all, it's certainly much more than a week. Oh, gosh, yes. It's usually, um, it depends on the project, at least, the least amount of time is three weeks. Mm-hmm. And if you're very fortunate, it's six weeks. Wow. So this was one week. Super condensed. Super condensed, and plus Ethel is only off the stage for about two minutes of the play. Hmm. And it's a very physical part because Ethel is the kind of person, she does everything. Norman does nothing. He points a lot. (laughs) But he does nothing. Many women would say, how typical. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And so therefore, it's a lot of stuff that I'm doing, but it's also timed certain things that I have to do. So it's not only you're doing the lines, but physical things that have to be done and have to be in the proper place. Otherwise, it, it screws up everybody else's blocking. And, of course, in the current production, that includes changing the scenery. That's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the cast actually, during the blackouts, changes the scenery. We change the scenery, yeah. which, I, which I just love because, uh, therefore, people are not sitting there watching a blank stage. There's always movement hap- happening on that stage with the actors. It's, it's certainly a craft for any performer to build a rapport that makes people believe that a couple has been together for 30, 40 years. Um, and you had very little time in which to do it. But it's it's worth asking about the fact that you've known James Earl Jones for years and you've had a series of near misses at working together, even going so far as to that you appeared on one of his TV shows but had no scenes with him? Exactly. It was a CBS show called Under One Roof, which was a lovely show, but they only gave it six shows. And I played the mother-in-law of his daughter-in-law. And so all my scenes were with Joe Morton and Vanessa Bell Calloway, and none of them was with James. So, you know, we kind of waved at each other, but we never had any scenes together. But you go back, you've known each other 
Well, you know, through the business, through over the, the business, years. and of course, I was privileged to see him do the Great White Hope and you know mm. fences and, but um, it's very interesting. Uh, he said to me when I walked into the room the first day of rehearsal, I had my cap on my head, and he said, "I looked at you, you had the cap on your head," and he gave us this big smile, and I knew everything was going to be okay, mm-hmm. and we had instant rapport, and which was wonderful. You know, I mean, we really, really like each other, and it's it's just a joy to work together. Now, in that, in that one week of learning the show, did you and he and the director have a chance to sit and talk about how your characters would develop? Well, not as much as we've had since we started rehearsal again before we opened in New York. But we certainly spent quality time together, running lines, and, and also the uh, the author and the, the uh, director were also working on the play uh Cutting certain things, seeing if they worked. So we were we were together, the three of us constantly, mm-hmm. which was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So what were the changes to the play? I mean, it, it certainly um, was a play that was originally thought of for Caucasian actors. Yes. And were there changes made in order to adapt it for for an African American cast? Not one line was adapted for that. The, what was changed was there was a lot of uh, what the director felt was a lot of sentimentality that was not necessary, didn't further the story. And uh, I must say that Ernest Thompson was willing to let the director go with it. You know, you, you usually get a lot of playwrights, every word is golden, and they don't want to hear that. And he'd certainly had some success with the play. Yes, yes. It's, it's played all over the world. I mean, it's even translated into Japanese. So um, he uh, trusted uh, Lenny Foglia to uh, take him in another direction. And uh, so there were a lot of cuts. So even the line, there are no native blacks or Jews in in Maine, has always been there. Always been there. And, you know, what I love about it is it's it's a universal play. I mean, uh, it's a situation that everybody goes through. I don't care who you are, what you are, but when you sit out there, you go, "Mm, I think. That, that that was my father, or that's or that's my husband, or, or that's my wife. You know, I mean, there's all those situations. Of course, aging, everybody's going to go there. Uh, you might know someone that's doing it right now who's having problem memory problems. We, the little kid represents divorce. So I mean, it's you sit in that audience, and there are things that you can relate to. And I think that's the charm of the play is that people they they get so involved in it because they go, oh my gosh, this could be me. Well, I, I, I recall reading somewhere that it's been performed on six continents, which I guess must exclude Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, right. literally all over the world, yes. in 50-some-odd countries and yes. various languages. So there's obviously a lot of universal truths in the play. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, 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 the writer, Thompson, uh, just kind of felt that it wasn't going to amount to much, and he was very surprised, I read, that uh, the show not only amounted to something but has gone on all these years, like he, half his lifetime. It's so true, and just to think that, I mean, he was quite young when he wrote this play, mm-hmm. and how, you know, he he tapped into these people, I think is just beautiful. Like, kind of, how would somebody who was young know all the things that Norman Thayer and Ethel Thayer both know? Exactly. You know, what else is interesting is that my husband and I had just come from a vacation before I got involved in on Golden Pond, and uh, we had driven to Maine. We had never been to Maine. Oh, really? <laughs> and we decided to take this trip, and we wound up, uh, we stayed in Kennebunkport. Uh-huh. 
Uh, and then we drove around up to, uh, as far as Camden, uh, Maine. And we had the best time. We loved it. I, I think I, I had lobster till it was coming out of my ears. <laughs> the weather was beautiful. We met a, a, a local gentleman there that we started talking to. And, of course, to him, I don't care how many t- times you come up to the to Maine, you are the summer people, he was telling us. Oh, yeah, you know, they live it, they've been living it, but they're the summer people. You know, <laughs> they've been living there for 40 years. Sure. And th- this dropped out of the sky, this play, and I thought, I can't believe this. I just came from Maine, had never been there before. So I, in my mind, I could see the pictures and uh, of where this house would be and, and the looms and that, that, you know, that whole thing. It was just unbelievable. It was kind of like it was meant to be. You went uh, to yes, Maine and you got, absolutely. got the show. Absolutely. But certainly getting thrust on stage is nothing new to you. You've been <laughs> getting thrust on stage since you were in the single digits. Yes, how did you get your start? I mean, your 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 dad was, ran an elevator and was a maintenance guy. You yes. grew up here in New York, but your and your mom had some performing experience. Well, my mom was a Cotton Club dancer for a very short period of time. Okay, she said I was no Lena Horne, <laughs> and <laughs> she knew that she she didn't have what it really would take, and uh, so therefore she was not really in the business. But my aunt Eloise Uggams, she had been in uh, the Blackbirds of nineteen twenty nine. Um, she had all, and she, my cousin Avis, she also did every version except the original version of Porgy and Bess. So she traveled all over the world doing Porgy and Bess. She was in St. Louis Woman uh, with uh, Pearl Bailey. So she was the one that was kind of the, the, the star in the family and, and had really experienced true show business. But in spite of all that, the, how I got into it was strictly through a friend of my mom and dad's. She always thought I had talent. And when I was five, there were all these dancing schools where you took dancing and singing and, and, and acting. Mm-hmm. And uh, she happened to teach a little class of singing. And uh, I wound up going to the school that she was working at. And then there were all these auditions, and she would take me around to the audition. There were a lot of kiddie shows then. And my first job, though, was with Ethel Waters when I did Beulah. I played her niece on one episode. On, on television. On television. Right. It was not national. It was just a local show. And Dooley Wilson played her boyfriend. Mm. A lot of history there. And um, that was my first introduction into the business. But I didn't sing. Then later on, I got involved with the Apollo Theater because they had an amateur hour radio show, and I kept winning the show, mm. and they couldn't get rid of me. So they <laughs> put, put me on the stage at the Apollo and paid for an act to, to be done for me. And I did impressions, and I tap dance, and I sang. And, and how old were you at that point? I was uh, nine then. And what happened was then it, twice a year I always played the Apollo. So the first time I played the Apollo, I worked with Louis Armstrong. Wow. And the second time I played the Apollo, I worked with Ella Fitzgerald. Pretty good company. Pretty good company. <laughs> and so uh, that's how I really got my start. And, uh, you know, you were doing four shows a day and five on Sunday. So we did 29 shows a week. Then I guess nationally, the first time national audiences probably were aware of you was the Mitch Miller Show. The Mitch Miller Show. How did that come Well, about? was Arthur Godfrey before? You... Arthur Godfrey was when I was 10. So you were, okay, yes. still very and, you know, And, he, again, he would do a thing where uh-huh. he had the, had the kids on and a little contest, and I won the contest. Uh-huh. And so then I wound up being on the radio for a week with him and Julius LaRosa and, you know, the Maguire sisters and all, all those fabulous people. And I also did your show of shows. 
with the uh, Billy Williams Quartet when I was 10. That was quite an experience. Sid Caesar. Sid Caesar, Imogene Coca, and, you know, Rob Ryan, all those people. You were in the rehearsal hall and you'd watch all this crazy stuff that was going on because, you know, that's how the rehearsal went. As as a 10-year-old, did you have any idea how unusual this was? No. You know, it's interesting. Um, I just loved being around it, and so I had no idea, you you know, the legends that I was going to be working with. The same, I did Milton Berle. Maurice Hines and I did Milton Berle like every every year for about five years. Uh, he had kids on, and he would do a summer camp thing or a Christmas show or Thanksgiving show. And Maurice and I were two of the kids that were constantly on the show. And one day my mother said, Mrs. Burrell turned to her and said, that kid's got talent. My mother said, how can you tell? I mean, there's all these kids. She says, I can tell. You know. mm-hmm. Well, but it probably seemed kind of normal to you. I mean, didn't every yes. kid do that? Yeah. It's probably what you thought, right? Yeah, you know, and I, and I was a ham. You didn't have to ask <laughs> me twice to sing. I would sing at a drop of a hat. So, And I didn't have a pushy stage mother, which was – I was very fortunate. Well, that's what's so interesting. I mean, your aunt obviously was, was helpful in yeah. the process, but it wasn't that your parents were desperate to get you on stage. No. No, in fact, my father was very leery about the whole show business thing even though his sister was working in show business because when they went uh, overseas with Porgy and Bess uh, – the producer wanted me to be one of the kids that went. My father says, no, she doesn't have children of her own. She wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> but it is – I mean what was fortunate is that the time you were coming up, the television industry was still relatively was, so new yes. and it was still based here in New York. Still based in New York and, and it used a lot of kids. There were a lot of horn and hearted TV hour where there were kids. There was Star Time, which was a show that uh, Connie Francis and I were on. But I have to ask, in in that era, and, and we'll talk more about this, African American children were they as present? I mean, not as present. No. Uh, the, those that uh, uh, got picked a lot were the ones that worked most of the time, uh, which was myself, Maurice. There was another girl named Irene Treadwell. She did a, a, a quite a few shows uh, with, with Jerry Mahoney, in the, you know, the puppet. Paul Winchell. Jerry yes, Mahoney, Paul right, Winchell. Right. And, uh, but the, it, was, it was not a, a big, open kind of situation by any means. So speaking of getting picked, how did you get picked for Mitch Miller? For Mitch Miller, I was doing – I was on a quiz show called Name That Tune uh-huh. as a contestant. They asked me, what did I like to do? And I said, I like to sing. And they said, okay, sing something. What do you like to sing? And I said, I like to sing the whole world in his hands. And I did. And the mail, the response that they got, tons of tons of letters. Mm. And all of a sudden, I became like the darling of the quiz show. Meanwhile, I'm trying to win this money so I can go to college with mm-hmm. my partner and I split $25,000, which was a big, big, big money. It's still good money. Yeah. It was huge. <laughs> yes, in, it was huge. In the late could, 50s, early 60s. Right. And you it know? could pay for college it, education. Absolutely. Then. Absolutely. So, I mean, but that my mind was on, oh, gosh, I hope, you know, we could do these songs that, the, you know, the questions that they asked us. And uh, Mitch started hearing about this girl that was on this quiz show. And the night that he tuned in, I was singing the Lord's Prayer. And it impressed him enough where he had me come down to Columbia Records because he was A&R man then and do some demos. And he liked what he heard. And he signed me to a contract. And I had my first album at 16 called The Eyes of God. And meanwhile, I didn't know, but he was trying to sell this idea of Sing Along with Mitch and 
for four years, and everybody kept saying, who wants to see 26 old guys mm-hmm. on television? Right. And he couldn't get it you know, picked up. And then what happened was NBC had all these specials, and the ratings were not good. And the head of NBC said, oh, throw that thing on. Mm-hmm. And the response was unbelievable. And we wound up on the air. For, but, those, for those who may be too young to remember Sing Along with Mitch, it really was a national phenomenon, which ran for several years. Oh, yes. We ran for four years. Four years. We were only a special. And, and then the, I was only supposed to be on now and then. But because of that special and the response from the audience male-wise, I wound up being a regular. But at the same time, there was controversy about you being Oh, on. absolutely. Controversy from the, the network and from the sponsors because uh, they kept saying to Mitch, which he, I didn't know till about 15 years ago what the real story was. And they were constantly badgering him saying, um, you know, well, okay, if you want her on, then can you put her in her own spot? And they were going to cut me out like they did Lena for For the South. For certain markets, yeah. And he said, no, 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 no. This is a family show. She's part of the family. They said, okay. Well, does she have to like touch the single men do they have that he says we're a family here and they kept coming up with all these things and mitch said finally said if she ain't on the show then it ain't a show well now supposing the show hadn't been so popular i'm sure it would you know yeah. <laughs> it would have been he off. had leverage but yeah, i mean that, he yeah, had yeah, leverage yeah. and um mitch and i are still close today and and, and to his credit for and standing up for what he believed in. absolutely absolutely and uh there I was on national television, which was the first to have a female uh, black woman on television every week. That was mm. something. Now, speaking of first, your first Broadway appearance won you a Tony Award in yes. Hallelujah Baby. Yeah. How did you make the, 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 the entrance to Broadway? How did you get into that show? I was doing, um, because of Sing Along with Mitch, uh-huh. in, uh, at Berkeley, they had this summer program where they used all these different stars from television. And... Um, uh, I was one of the people, and I did The Boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And there was a buzz about it because they were not doing so well with some of the other people, and we packed them, and we we did unbelievable business. And the buzz was, oh, she can act mm-hmm. as well as just, just sing. And they were looking for someone to do Hallelujah Baby because Lena Horne, who was supposed to do it, had dropped out of the project. And so they decided to go with someone that wasn't known, I guess, in, in theater-wise anyway. And it was destined for Broadway. It was point. destined for Broadway. So I auditioned, and I <laughs> was appearing in Atlantic City at the Harlem Club uh-huh. and couldn't go to New York. So they all, Julie Stein, Comden and Green, and Arthur Lawrence came to this black club that I was appearing in, in Atlantic City, and watched me do my act. Uh-huh. And they were impressed. So they said, well, she can sing and she can dance. We can see that. Can then, she act? And now can she act? <laughs> right. And so then I, when I finished the engagement, I went and auditioned the acting part. And at the time, David Merrick was the producer. And when I finished my scene, I looked over and he was sound asleep. <laughs> Always a good sign. And I said, okay, I guess I won't be doing this part. <laughs> then later on, he decided to drop out of the project. And they 
got some other producers, and I, I wound up being signed for Hallelujah Baby. That was quite interesting, though. Lena Horne's supposed to do it. Yes. And then a relative unknown in Broadway terms, certainly yes. known to TV. But yes. Yeah. That was quite well, a we, leap of faith. Yes. People talk now about TV stars coming to Broadway and are surprised by it. But, but there's then, obviously some tradition absolutely. As, as well. But it was interesting. I read that um, – that Arthur Lawrence, uh, talking recently mm-hmm. about the revised version of the show that he did, that he felt that there'd been a re- there was a real change in the show because he had gone for sexy Lena Horne and ended up with Girl Next Door, Leslie Uggams. Yes. Were you aware at the time of the shift in the material and, and even the, the focus of the show because well, of that? Not really. I mean uh, – um... I I wasn't aware of that, but I always looked at Arthur, and he always seemed to look at me with one eyebrow up the whole time I was involved in Hallelujah Baby. Um, But um, it it worked. It worked. You know, uh, from his viewpoint, he was never very happy with the storyline. And, you know, I've I've talked to him over the years. He really felt that uh, it could have been stronger. Uh, and he didn't go far enough with it. But uh, I, I still think that for the time we were doing it, it was a very strong show. It was certainly it dealt with a relationship between not only a, a black man and a black woman, but uh, also the love of a white man for a black woman. You know, And that was, that was kind of heavy back in that time. And it was just during the time where the civil rights movement was, was happening. So, I, you know, it was pretty darn good, I thought. Well, let's, let's take a minute and hear a song from Hallelujah Baby because I want, to, want us to come back and talk more about that time. But uh, what, what should we play? Oh, you have to play My Own Morning. Can you, set, dream. can you set it up? Well, it's her dream of her mother keeps saying, you know, you, you, I want you to be a maid. That's a nice steady job and don't think you're going to be anything else. And she says, no, no, no. I have dreams, Mom. I'm not going to stay a maid. I want to own my own home. I want to do this. And that's what this song is about, My Own Morning. Leslie Uggams, of course, in a song from Hallelujah Baby, My Own Morning, on Golden Pond, which you're currently starring in on Broadway, and Hallelujah Baby. In both cases, I guess there could be some controversy attached. Certainly back then in the civil rights era, Hallelujah Baby was different. Mm-hmm. Now the, the all mostly African-American version of uh, on Golden Pond. Are you getting any sort of um, uh, feedback on, on that, or is it just being looked at as – a good cast and a good show. It's it's really just been looked at as a good cast, a good show. I mean, uh, I, I don't know when you sit out in the audience, but I think after two minutes, you right. don't even think about that anymore. Which shows how times have changed yes. on, on Broadway and in the country in general. Absolutely. I mean, we have come a long way, and it's, it's, it's beautiful to see that. Well, 40 years ago, you were on the cover of Newsweek magazine <laughs> for an article uh, headlined The Negro in Show Business, which <laughs> yes. when I read that, I was sort of aghast, but, you know, the times have changed so. But in that period, you really were among the first harbingers of African-American performances, performers yes. really breaking in. And, yes. And Sammy Davis Jr. was was – Right, you know, in that era, and and looking at what you were doing, were you aware of the time? Were you politicized at the time, or were you just working on your career? I was very aware at the time. I at the same time was working my career, but I was very aware that there was a lot of pressure on me. Uh, it's funny, you know. I, I look today, and uh, you know, bad boy, bad girl—that's a good thing. People love that. 
Mm. Nothing bothered them. But then when in 1961, when I was doing Sing Along with Mitch, you mm. had to make sure that you acted a certain way because you represented the whole race. Well, it's, it's kind of like Jackie Robinson in baseball. Exactly, a, a exactly. Earlier. And you know, here I am, seventeen years old, and I went from—I was known in the black community performing there, but all of a sudden, I'm known all over the country, and it—it it, it was uh, kind of scary, kind of scary, you know, because everything you did was scrutinized, and uh, I wasn't used to that, and it was a lot of pressure, and you, you know. God forbid you make any mistake about anything, and uh, you—it's like, oh God, you bring down the whole race. So it was—it was, it was a, a scary, scary time. Well, it was near. You know, you had certainly the the old story about Eartha Kitt at the White House. Yes. And, and did you ever get into political situations? I wasn't. Or, or you really managed to? I wasn't as political as as Eartha, mm-hmm. and and certainly, you know. Uh, uh, Harry Belafonte, people like that. But I, I, I was around them, and I, I did get to go t- to the march uh, when uh, Martin Luther King died. I was down there with them, and uh, but I wasn't as vocal about it because my career at the time was going in so many different directions, and I was trying to get that going. And I still hadn't established myself very strongly in my career, even though I did Hallelujah Baby and television. But now I went from being a young teenage girl into womanhood. So I was trying to establish myself as a vocalist who was a woman now, which Mm -hmm. that was very hard to do because audiences still expected me to be this little girl. So when I started going into nightclubs, it was kind of like, oh, why is she dressing like that now? (laughs) They wanted me to stay in those outfits that, you know, I wore on, on Mitch Miller. Kind of like a generation earlier at Shirley Temple. They, people always envisioned her as a child actress. Exactly. And eventually she grew up. Exactly. As does everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what I I was going through. I, if I wanted to have a career that, that went on and on, um, I was trying to, you know, dig in and let the, get people to realize that I wasn't the little girl anymore. Well, after Hallelujah Baby, then what, what came next for you? I, I, well, I did her first Roman with Richie Kiley, mm-hmm. which uh, based on uh, Cleopatra and, and uh, Caesar, which was a joy to work with him, another incredible, incredible uh, icon in, in the theater who couldn't have been sweeter. But unfortunately, the show was just a mess. Mm-hmm. And that was an experience at the same time, but I'm, I'm still very friendly with Irvin Drake and who's a wonderful uh, songwriter and uh, but I, I was kind of disappointed that that didn't work out so after I, I did that show um, I went to California moved to California and I wound up doing a television show which you know now that I'm sitting here talking to you, everything drops out of the sky for me because the Smothers Brothers were fired by CBS. Mm. I was doing – I was supposed to do a pilot for for CBS, which was going to be a sitcom. And then I get a knock on my door. We had just moved into a a house. I was married to my husband then in California. And my agent – 10.30 10.30 at night, he's knocking the door. He says, you've got a show. You've got a show. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're replacing the Smothers Brothers on CBS I w- on Sunday night. I said, what? Are you kidding me? He said, no, this is what's going to happen. Talk about pressure. Hello. One of the highest rated shows of its time. Absolutely. But again, and political. Political, and political too. controversy of its right. own. You you became the safe choice <laughs> yes. for CBS. Yes. But they put you up against Bonanza? Uh, well, 
you know, they had an agenda. I mean, how else can you get the heat off you from kicking off two guys who were, you know, one of the highest rated shows that were talking about fabulous, true things that are going on in the world? And uh, you fire them, and to bring down the controversy, you bring on this little chocolate bunny here (laughs) and give her a show, which they had no intention of keeping on. In the meantime, what we found out later on that like in the basement was hee-haw rehearsing. So they just just were were buying time. Yeah, they were just buying time. But the show did better than what they thought. So it was, you know, uh, kind of hard for them, but uh, after 10 weeks, they they, they, – Terminated show. And in the midst of all of this, you wanted to be known as an actress, yes. not just a singer. You had the Broadway shows, which certainly showed you had some chops. Yes. You'd had some small film roles. Yes. But getting back to some of even the training you'd had as a child, you were not getting dramatic roles. No. And, um, you know, I had studied with some wonderful teachers from the time I was a kid. So it wasn't like, you know, uh, I'm singing now, so now I think I'll do acting. I had always studied right. with some uh, pretty wonderful people and also with Stella Adler. And so um, – but even when I did the, those small movie roles, other than Black Girl, which was a wonderful movie, and all of a sudden it's being shown uh, again and which is lovely, Ossie Davis directed, directed by, yeah. And I cl- the wonderful Claudia McNeil is uh, one of the actresses in the, in the movie. Um, I couldn't get arrested, you know, so I wound up doing great roles like Skyjack. Yeah, there's there's a couple of pictures. <laughs> one one picture you did with Shelley Winters looks like a lot of oh, fun. Oh, poor Pretty Eddie, which they keep changing the title, <laughs> I, I hear. But, I mean, uh, just to be able to do something. And I, I remember the director of, uh, of Skyjack says, why do you want to do this? You sing. I said, well, I, I don't. Just want to sing, you know, and he was he was like scratching his head. He couldn't work out why she would want to be an be an actress. So it wasn't really until after I moved back to New York, even after I had done several Broadway shows, that my husband dragged me back to New York because we had been living out in Gollywood. I call it Gollywood. And when was this? This was, um, gosh, this is. 15 years ago. So uh-huh. we're talking about... about 1990 or yeah, Well, yeah. I think we've skipped something. Though. Well, I did, you know, I did Jerry's Girls in the meantime. I think we skipped Roots. And, well, yes. But that was a fluke too. That was another fluke. That was a situation when I did Roots where um, I was watching television one day. I was watching the Dinah Shaw show and uh, um, Richie Pryor was on and introduced this writer named Alex Haley, who had written this book, and it sounded fascinating. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a book junkie. I love to read everything. And so I thought, oh, i got to get this book. It's t- talking about your heritage, and especially having a name like Uggams. You know, it's always been fascinating to me, my, my name. And uh, then he said, you know, and they're going to do uh, a series on it on ABC. And I thought, oh, I'd love to be a part of that. And my, I spoke to my manager. I said, I just saw this thing, and I told him all about it. And he said, oh. That's very interesting. And that was the end of it. Then I was on tour doing my my nightclub act, and I came back. And when I got back, I had an audition for Roots. Roots. And uh, I read three different women. And they said, well, come back tomorrow, and you tell us which one you would like to do. Well, after I read Kizzy, who wants to do anything else? So the next day I came, and they were kind of surprised that I picked Kizzy. And I guess they thought I was going to go for, like, a little smaller part. 
And uh, they looked at me, and I looked at them, and then the next thing I know, I was there having a screen test to see if I, I could be convincing as Ben Vereen's uh, mother, and uh, I got the part. The rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Well, it certainly was an event in that era. So. A, an event that was another fluke because uh, the head of uh, ABC was Freddie Silverman, and uh, he had just become the head of it, and he was kind of like pushing the shows that he weren't really his shows on the air, and he decided to put it on every night, get rid of it. Burn it mm-hmm. off in a week. And hello, it, it, that's how the miniseries began. Yeah, that was really the start of the miniseries, which for a decade or so was like the big thing in television. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Big ev- uh, event television. Yes. Called, so. so you came back to New York in 1990, mm-hmm. roughly. Yes. And then... Uh, there was an absence till about 2001 of you on Broadway. What was going on during the 90s for you? I started doing a lot of regional things uh-huh. um, because I knew that the only way that I was going to be taken serious, I had to be serious about it. And uh, I came back to New York, and um, I got an award from the Black National Theater event that they do every uh, every two years down in uh, 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 North, North Carolina. Carolina. North Carolina. And there was Woody King, Jr., and he said to me, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of Black Girl, and you played the ingenue. Would you like to play the mother at my theater? And I thought, that sounds interesting, yes. So I did play the part at his theater in New York, the New Federal Theater, and a playwright who was a friend of his saw me do it and said he had this play called The Old Settler. This is John Henry Redwood. John Henry Redwood, my dear departed, wonderful man. Um... He gave me the script. I read the script. I fell in love with the script. Uh, I wound up doing it up at the Rochester at the Jiva Theater and then a couple of other places. And then uh, we came back here and did it at the primary stages. And what I didn't know was Marion McClinton saw me do it and talked to August, and I auditioned and got King Headley. And we're speaking of August Wilson, Yes, of you know, and uh, it just... All that just started the ball rolling into the area that I always wanted to to get into. And I toured with another play called Blue, which is a, a lovely play. And uh, that's how I got back into the acting again. And then, Do you think it was that, a surprise for people that you were doing these regional roles and going up to Rochester and going off to places like that to work? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I, I, <laughs> and how was it for you? Because it's certainly, you know, from on stage at the Apollo as a child yes. to uh, – and I can say this because I worked at Jiva for several years yes. – to working at Jiva Theater in Rochester, New York. That's quite a journey. I, I loved it because it gave me a chance to do what I wanted to do, work with – directors, a lot of them don't get the opportunity on Broadway. Some do. Um, I was willing to go there, and they were happy to have me, and I was happy to be asked to go, and uh, I got a chance to work with playwrights that I admired and material that I admired and a cast that I admired. And it really, you know, I remember as a kid, Louis Armstrong used to say, he says, baby, you want your chops to be good, you got to work your chops. (laughs) And that's always in the back of my head. I had to work. You know, the more you work, the better you get. And uh, those theaters gave me great opportunities. So King Headley. King Headley. That was a wonderful experience. A Tony nomination. Yes, yes. But uh, obviously there you were plugging into an extraordinary continuum of work by August Wilson and all of the... 
the stories that he's been telling over yes. these years, over the the entire twentieth century. Yes. Just what what was being in that show, and and what was the experience of working with August and a great cast? Well, I admired August so much that I didn't get my voice to say hello out for like a week, <laughs> and we were in rehearsal already because I, 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 I was so in awe of him because I just loved August Wilson and work and you know, and to be in one of his plays to me was I had died and gone to heaven. And uh, the interesting thing, as we started working, and the, there's a scene in it where the Maddie D. Waltz was basically just a melody that my character kind of hummed, that Rose just, you know, is humming. And then, next thing I know, August threw in a few lines. Of, well, he did have Leslie Uggams in you the know, show. You know, in, in it, and then he got so excited. He said, I've written some lyrics. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was so excited about writing the, this music thing. And I was so excited <laughs> that he wanted to do it. And it was just a great, great love fest. And uh, some extraordinary actors and actresses of that, that I got to work with. And it, playing the Goodman Theater. You know, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, and we opened their new theater. So that was great. And then going to, down to the Kennedy Center. And, of course, you know, when you do August's work, um, it's not a short piece. Well, it's not a short piece. And you do. The works very often play at multiple venues yes. before you come to New York. Yeah. You have a lot of time to explore that work. Absolutely. And that was a great time. And August's words are like music. So for me, I, I, I was so easy for me to get into it because all his works has a certain rhythm and I use that in learning the uh, the, the monologues and things that he had written for, for this King Henry. And then King from Henry. that, quite a difference, your next appearance, Thoroughly Modern Millie yes, on Broadway. Yes, and that's a situation a where they had asked me originally to do it and when they asked me, I got an opportunity to work with August Wilson so I couldn't turn that down. Then the second time they came and asked me, I was involved in something else. Then the third time I said, guess what? I'm free. <laughs> and I had such a great time. That's such a fun show. Uh, and ju- people just loved that show. It had such a cult following. I mean, we had people that had seen it 12, 13, 14, 15 times. We had two priests that came and they saw it like 69 times. Wow. It got to he be, must be in a very successful parish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was got to the point they would come every Wednesday evening, and if they weren't there, then I worried about oh them. What, what happened? Okay, to them? <laughs> you know, and then they said, "What happened to you?" And they tell me, "Well, we had to do this." I said, oh, "Okay, I was worried, but I mean, it's an amazing show. A lot of young people who might not know Leslie Uggams got to be fans of of mine. Mm. They loved the character of Muzzy. Little kids, teenagers, and uh, it was a great experience. Seems like so many things in your career just kind of happened. Yes. How, you have a new CD out on my way to you now. How did that happen? Okay. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because it's with this CD, um, the, the, the guy who produced it, Dan Levine, had another project that he was interested in me doing with a group of people. And... Uh, we talked, and then he sent me material over that he that he had done, and I really liked it. And and uh, he was doing he he wrote Anna Karenina, which had been on Broadway some years back, and they were doing a CD of that, 
that they were going to, you know, for Europe. And I met with him, and uh, he said to me, you know, forget the other project. I'd like to record you. And I went, oh, this is too fabulous. Something else about to happen here. <laughs> Something else. And uh, we wound up, he produced me, and he has this gorgeous studio right ne next to his home in Vermont. So the setting... Close to Maine. Close to Maine. <laughs> and uh, was the most relaxed, wonderful experience of recording. And we sat down and we talked about music of Marilyn and Alan Bergman, who we both of us greatly admire. And uh, then we started choosing the songs for it. And one of the songs on there, he said to me, you know, uh, I'd like to do, what do you do the rest of my life? I see it as a duet. I said, really? So he, we were talking about different people that maybe we'd ask. And I said, why don't we ask Michelle Agron? He said, that's a good idea. The next thing I know, he has a phone number. We're talking in France to Michelle Agron. He said, oh, I love Leslie. Absolutely. I, I, would, I would love to do it. And we wound up with Michelle Agron wow. doing one of the songs on the CD. So, it, I mean, it was just a love fest in, in this CD. And I, I think when you play it, you'll feel the love that I had for this project. Should we pick a song from... The, the CD, On My Way to You? Yes, I like the title song. I love them all, but the title song is very special. The title song from Leslie Uggam's new CD, The Songs of Alan and Marilyn Bergman, On My Way to You, songs including The Summer Nose and The Windmills of Your Mind, the title song, On My Way to You, which coincidentally is track number seven. <laughs> yeah. Title song is usually like track number I, one. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. What are you doing the rest of your life? Summer Me, Winter Me, good collection of songs. Yes, there's some wonderful songs on this. And and, I'm sorry. As, as we talk about your relationship to music, I was struck. You actually studied music composition at yeah, one point? At Juilliard I, I, because I wanted to be able to read notes. Uh, you know, everything came to me so natural. And I thought, if I need to talk to my musicians, I want to be able to talk to them so that they look at me with respect and not like, what does she know? But a lot of people want to learn how to read music. It's another thing to take music composition I know, courses. I know. I, I, I was just wild and crazy, but I loved it. I had a great time. I met some great musicians at the time I was going to Juilliard who were dear, dear friends now and doing glorious things. And we were still up at the old school, you know, that, that whole building and atmosphere. It was just a great atmosphere. And uh, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Well, On Golden Pond is playing at the Court Theater here in New York. I should mention that you have been nominated for a Helen Hayes Award, which is prestigious. Yes. And Helen Hayes Award awards in Washington, Washington. D.C. Yes. for achievement on stage. And also the Drama League Award. Yes. Uh, that's very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Especially, I mean, uh, because it's just a joy doing this project. And uh, that's the reward in itself. Well, a very special evening at the Court Theater with you, James Earl Jones, and the rest of the very talented cast on Golden Pond. Thanks, Leslie Uggam, so much for being with us today on Downstage Center. Thank you. I've loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> for the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding everyone that these programs and all of the media and educational programs of the American Theater Wing are available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten. For Downstage Center, that's a wrap, and thank you. <laughs>